0: Hey everybody, my name is Justin Murphy and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast, over and out. We're very lucky to have with us. Mr. Justin Murphy, um, who I, I like to describe as a persecuted public intellectual, uh, Justin himself rejects this description. because "This is this is not how he thinks of himself." Of course, you know, what difference does it make how one thinks of oneself in this age of you know witch hunts and persecutions and so forth and, and so on? So anyway, here we are, and I think that uh, you know. I don't know if I want to
1: sort of say anything specific about the kind of space that this is, except maybe to say that like this is almost
0: literally a safe space, and that in fact we should all feel free to say whatever you want. And I think that um, you know what we're sort of trying to do somehow, but it's slightly this style in this sort of kitchen here is to actually be able to have discussions about whatever people want to discuss. And so we're very lucky to have Mr. Murphy, Dr. Murphy. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, they can't take that away from me. Can't take that away from me. So, 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 he's not even a man anymore. Cool. Thank you very much for that. Uh, thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, thanks to all of you for coming here tonight to hang out. Really appreciate it. I appreciate your interest in whatever I have to say. And big thanks to Nina and to DC for inviting me out. Uh, also, big thanks to Hector for. Letting us use your home. This is an amazing space. It's awesome doing things. in Doing doing events like this in people's homes is always really nice, so very grateful. So, yeah, big thanks to everyone. So, what I'm going to talk about tonight is honesty. And I'm going to try to make the case that honesty is... I'm going to try to use it as a technical term. I'm going to actually try to make the case that honesty is actually a a very particular kind of political operation. There's a mechanism involved. There's a certain philosophical and uh, sophisticated way of understanding honesty as a particular kind of political practice uh, that has been understood actually throughout mo- the history of Western thought. It's actually been a recurring idea. And uh, I want to. so I want to first, the, the first thing I'm going to try to achieve, and I don't have too long, so I'm going to have to kind of do some hand-waving here and there so not everything will be fully spelled out, but the first thing I'd like to do is explain what I mean by honesty. I've written a lot with this, I've used this term a lot in some of my writings and, and some of the things I've been saying lately. Uh, so I want to kind of back that out a little bit more with a little bit more sophistication and tell you what I mean by that. Then what I want to try to do is tell an empirical story about kind of the, the 20th century history into 21st century history. And uh, tell. I want, there's a story I've been telling, which I'd like to kind of uh, synthesize for you. I've been telling it in different ways, in different in fragmentary ways on my blog and things like that. But I want to take this opportunity to kind of synthesize it and tell it in, in one kind of coherent narrative. And it has to do with basically uh, what I would call sort of the changing opportunity structure, to use a word from political science, uh, for on- honesty. You know, uh, basically technology and in particular media technology has obviously changed tremendously, you know, in the modern period, obviously throughout the modern period. But there's a particular... Kind of evolution in, in in the media technological landscape that you see through the twenty first century through the twentieth century into the twenty first century, and I think we're really right now at a really interesting and exciting kind of inflection point uh, that I think remains poorly understood still. Um, so I have a story, I have a kind of empirical historical story that I'm going to kind of sketch out for you, um, and basically what that comes down to is I'm going to try to make I'm going to try to convince you that actually right now I think uh, the prospects for radical honesty as a specific kind of uh, Radical, I, I even dare say, revolutionary kind of political operation that has always existed and it's always kind of functioned with certain recurring uh, features, almost law-like features, uh, is now becoming more and more viable. Uh, the incentives for it are actually increasing, and the costs for executing it are actually decreasing. So that, that's that's the case I'm going to try to make you tonight. So I'm just going to kind of go in that order. So when I talk, when I I, I use this word honesty a lot, uh, and you know, it sounds kind of quaint. It sounds almost kind of corny when you just talk about like being honest. It sounds like, you know, you just speak from the heart and these kinds of cliches are what come to mind. But in fact, running throughout the history of Western political thought and, and practice even, there's actually um, been a fairly coherent and sophisticated notion of radical honesty as as a fundamental kind of political procedure. So in the Greek, we have this term uh, which gets transliterated as parisia, Uh, and, and it's translated in many different ways. This is a, this is an ancient Greek term. Uh, Foucault writes about it at length in his, uh, final lectures, uh, which, there's a book, uh, that compiles the lectures called, uh, The Courage of Truth. So I think it's the best, it's basically, I think the best title by Foucault that you can find. Really, really rich stuff where he basically talks about this practice of Parisia and the way that it functioned in, in the ancient world. In particular, the ancient cynics uh, were especially known for it. So Diogenes of Sinope, for instance, is a major signpost. Diogenes of Sinope was an ancient Greek philosopher, but he's not at all what any of us would think of when we think of philosophers. He was—he uh, basically lived out of a barrel. He was basically a homeless man, uh, he, and he would go around kind of barking at people, literally barking. Uh, he was well-read and, and had sophisticated ideas, uh, but basically it was a kind of really radical, militant way of uh, a lifestyle, of basically speaking truth to power. He had almost no belongings. Uh, he was rude to everyone. A uh, famous anecdote that really gives you a sense of what we're talking about. And he's a pre- he's a Parisiest, right? So I'm giving you an example of ancient Parisia or radical kind of honesty, rad- radical truth speaking, this term Parisia, which I'm trying to back out for you to give you a kind of emblematic example of the kinds of things that Diogenes was known for as a Parisiast. Uh, something like, uh, he once was giving a speech at, uh, the Isthmian games, which is kind of like something like, think like the Olympics, you know, like a kind of, uh, competitive uh, physical a series of contests he was giving a speech to a crowd there uh and at the end of his speech he shit all over the stage you know like lifted up his toga or whatever and just shat all over all over the stage obviously that? uh no i'm I'm afraid I, I i don't i don't have what it takes i'm not as uh radical a uh, parisiest as as he was yeah, yeah. um Right. So, so, you know, from the, from the outside, you look at this and you're like, first of all, how is that philosophy? What is the meaning of this? It's just kind of crazy, right? Obviously, he was, he was hated by most people. He was a gadfly of, of the worst variety. It's very annoying. It seems very ni- trivial. You know, what's, what's interesting or significant about this? You might also be thinking, what's, uh, you know, how is that honesty? It's, it's not even, you know, it doesn't map onto what we think of as honesty. But it, this is an example of what we'd call, uh, of what the ancient world knew as Parisia. Uh, and, and Parisia is, uh, another way, it's sometimes translated as frank speech is one way to put it. But the, the phrase that I really like that, that's used to kind of summarize it is saying it all or saying everything. So it's not just like saying what you think or feel, honestly. It's performing in a kind of excessive way the truth of what you are. The the full. The, so, for instance, like shitting on a stage is an example of it because... You know, humans shit, right? It's something that on on a daily basis in kind of bourgeois society, we all pretend that we don't shit. It's something we hide, right? It's a, that's a kind of lying, right? And so the preziast is he, he or she who embarks on a kind of lifestyle, a whole lifestyle of basically exposing and revealing, uh, everything, the, the entire range of everything, basically, saying it all. Okay. So that, that's this idea in, in ancient Greece. And, um, it, you see this also with Christ, and this, be, this basically becomes a kind of touchstone for Christianity, although it, be, it gets obviously, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, increasingly sophisticated and kind of sublimated, if you will. Uh, but you know, uh, Christ, some of you know the famous anecdote from, uh, Mark, I think it is, when, uh, you know, Peter tries to say to Christ, uh, hey, you know, don't go, you know, don't, preach your message so publicly that, you know, the Roman authorities are going to, you know, they're going to do you in that, that you know, you're going to be crucified or whatever. Uh, don't be so rash about it. And Christ responds uh specifically invoking, or I think it, it was Peter who invoked the word parisia. So you, he's basically saying, don't be a parisiast. You know, you can preach your truth, say your things, but you don't have to go above and beyond in a way that's going to piss off the authorities that, and it's going to get you killed. All right. So, um, they they use specifically that same word Parisia, right? Okay, so I'm just kind of sketching for you the kind of uh, ancient antecedents for this, uh, and it runs all the way all the way up through. I would argue you see it even in like the better strands of of radical feminism, like the in, the good insights that 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 are to be found in contemporary feminism, like such as consciousness raising. You know, there's this kind of uh, rediscovery that in fact, like when you get into small groups and you allow people to be radically honest and and share it all. Uh, fu- fundamentally positive and trans- transformative things, uh, do occur. It's a, it's a mechanism and it's a, it's a reliable one that, that, that works. So, so that's this, that's what I, that's when I say honesty, that's what, this is what I'm referring to. This kind of ancient practice of Parisia, which involves a kind of excessive, um, just laying bare. It's not something fancy. It's not like revealing the truths of, you know, scientific truths or philosophical truths that are particularly impressive or sophisticated. It's just, it's a lifestyle of, of, just not hiding things, not sugarcoating things and being kind of exce- as excessively uh, sort of revealing or unconcealing as possible. Um, and so Foucault analyzes this and really kind of shows how uh, it's a very particular political practice. And in fact, he argues that it's actually, a, it's actually a recurring mode of revolutionary politics. It's a way of being revolutionarily militant. And it has a particular logic in which it actually really, I would argue that Parisia is perhaps the only known method we have in terms of a, a concrete uh, technique that we know that is demonstrably effective for kind of transforming the social fabric. In, in short, it's a, it's a genuinely radical or revolutionary political tactic where individuals and groups can actually uh, follow certain principles. And transform society at large in what, in a way that maps onto what most of us think of as like revolutionary politics, like trying to change the world, trying to change society. We don't actually know how to do that very well, as the history of radical movements shows. But I would argue that this is one specific and, and, and kind of demonstrable technique that has that effect. And in, in in the ancient cynic in ancient cynicism, that effect is kind of described as defacing the currency. This is a phrase that Diogenes was famous for. Um, this idea, because the I, so this is the basic logic, and then I'm going to move on to the kind of the empirical story. I've been told I have about 20 minutes. So I don't want to abuse that. Yeah, it. Okay, cool. Um, so 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 the idea is that this is a, a real mechanism because it, it quote unquote defaces the currency, and basically what that means is that when so I mean look. All of you know bourgeois society is based on lies, right? It's actually it's actually a kind of foundational component of 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 modern society that we become civilized manners. I mean, what we call manners, right? Like functioning and and uh, you know, in a in a modern society, basically is defined by this division between the front stage and the backstage. You know, we have our public selves, and then we have all of the things we think and feel and do on a daily basis that are hidden, right? So living in public in a modern bourgeois society is systematically lying all the time in in some basic sense. Uh, it's so we've so naturalized it that we don't even see it as lying, but that, that is basically what it is. Um, and so, uh, because that is why such kind of like stupid and idiotic, hysterical, uh, nonsense can kind of proliferate, uh, whether it be like modern bureaucracy, you know, like the, the idiocy, just the sheer patent nonsense that you get at like the average bureaucratic workplace today, the directives that literally make no sense. It's just, it's just a proliferation, um, a kind of growth or multiplication of just, Sheer nonsense, like and 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 uh, basically, you know, lies and misdirections. That is, in, because in some sense, modern society is itself structured foundationally on this split between the 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 you know the front stage and the backstage. Okay, um, so d- this idea of defacing the currency, it's a the reason it's a a serious and sophisticated kind of political operation. Radical honesty is a political operation, is because what it basically does is when someone uses their life. To basically not just say something that's true, but to live in a way that is fundamentally um uh excessive. It's constantly kind of showing all the things that are hidden, right? Uh it has the effect of devaluing all of the things that people pretend to value, like, you know, all, all the bullshit, basically, all the all the fake values um get devalued. They get revealed as counterfeit, Foucault says. They get shown to be the false coin that they really are. Um and the preseast in their excess uh shows basically um that there is another kind of life that is possible uh the other life which is the true life foucault says the parisias kind of reveals that and makes it and makes it palpable it makes it attractive and and visible and kind of irresistible in a way and it constitutes its own kind of power it often also tends to generate its own community around that kind of radical parisiastical kind of uh, excessive lifestyle it it tends to generate its own independent authentic uh kind of organic community that potentially can be more truthful and 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 uh I, I, would say, you know, to use a word from kind of the, the radical left tradition, I would say, you know, emancipated or liberatory kind of community, uh, kind of naturally emerges in, in, in the, 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 uh, embodiment of this kind of like radical presiastic act. Okay. So that's just a summary of this, this idea of presia or radical honesty. I like to say as, um, a political mechanism that has been uh, with us throughout the history of Western civilization, and and often quite explicitly understood in the times and places in which it arises. Although of course it's always you know a fr- it's always a kind of fringe, um, under underground kind of current. Um, obviously with Christianity, it kind of explodes in this kind of uh, extraordinary movement. But but yeah, so so that that's that's what I mean by honesty. And I would argue that it works. It it really does work. It, it is actually a way for people to explode kind of like the bullshit right uh, in a way that is fundamentally productive and effective and it actually does change the way that the people around you are able to see themselves and and they're able to behave and it opens that up and i would say that that's basically my model of revolutionary politics i mean i'm still people like we were joking today about i like sometimes people call me like i'm alt-right or something like that uh but i still see everything i'm saying right now is basically in a kind of revolutionary left-wing tradition personally i see this as about emancipation and trying to figure out ways for individuals and small groups to think and speak and act in a way that maximizes uh creative uh, fl- human flourishing, right? So that's how I see it. So, okay. So that's this concept of Parisia, right? Um, now, okay. Obviously, uh, any political technique, uh, has, can be more, made more or less, uh, available. It can be, it can be, you know, the probabilities of it succeeding or the probabilities of it being suppressed can increase or decrease depending on different background variables, right? And so, I think that basically what happened in the 20th century with the rise of, of mass broadcast technology, in particular, so like think beginning of, around the 1920s is when radio really becomes a kind of uh, significant force in kind of advanced liberal democracies such as the U.S. or whatever the case might be. Uh, from from around the rise of radio in the 1920s all the way up until the TV era, and it really doesn't start to kind of uh, recede this period I'm describing in the 20th century until around the 1970s with cable is, is when you have a kind of the beginning of a transition to where we are now. But from about the 1920s to about the 1970s is this kind of golden age of, of mass broadcast technology, radio, TV, primarily. Um, and this was basically, the contention I'm going to put to you is that this was basically uh, a catastrophe for truth telling and and per, and for this for prospects of parisia as as a political kind of uh feature of 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 life today and the reason is I think pretty easy to see uh it 's because if you want to if your message wants to kind of uh, if you want to have any kind of reach for your message, you have to kind of play the game of getting on t v or getting on radio so these are these are one to many broadcast technologies where like uh, you know, it's not networked, it's not the internet. It's like, if you are the person with the radio microphone or the TV microphone, you get your message put into the ears of mad people, like millions of people, right? Uh, who are more or less a captive audience because they don't have that much choice, right? This is really, really bad for truth-telling because what, what it basically means is that there's a lot of incentives to lie, to, to fib, to kind of, uh, you know, neuter your thoughts and your expression to get that top spot on the TV or whatever it might be. And if you if you don't submit to that sterilization and that kind of fibbing and lying that 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 involves, uh, then your message just doesn't go anywhere, right? So I would argue this has been a really really uh, catastrophic uh, experience for the human species in terms of of, of its like truth telling capacities, this mass broadcast area. So I like to think of it as like just to fix ideas in your minds in a simple way. Basically, the structure of the communication, uh, the, the 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 communication structure. From the 1920s to the 1970s in, in America, the UK, whatever it might be, is basically like it's one big pyramid, right? And it's like, if you get to the top of that pyramid, your message gets out to all the people at the bottom of the period, uh, of the pyramid. Um, so that's just to fix the ideas. And what happens with the, basically, the, it begins with cable and then it accelerates into, you know, the, the internet age that we're now living through is the fragmentation of commu- the communication structure. I think that's, that's fairly intuitive to understand, right? Cable, what cable represents, you know, so this is like when CNN appears, when Fox News appears, is it's an increase in choice. All of a sudden, choice, media choice starts to open up. And that's when you start to see basically people realize, OK, I don't need to uh, play this game of like the mega mass pyramid. I can just, you know, if I'm Rush Limbaugh, I can just make my own radio station or if I'm, you know, uh, whatever the case might be, I can just make my own little independent pyramid and and say my truth that way, and get all my people under under that pyramid. And basically what you're seeing ever since the 1970s to today is this this process of fragmentation has been accelerating. Um, and, you know, we as humans take a long time to kind of update our intuitions about the world that we live in. Most of us today, we're kind of, you know, we we came up at a time when the some kind of like mass broadcast communication structure was just, uh, we naturalized it. It's just how, you know, communication politics takes place. But it's rapidly, it's rapidly receding. And it's so rapidly receding that, in fact, what's really different now is that the gains from getting on TV, the gains from getting on like primetime radio or or you know mainstream TV or whatever, um, the gain, the the kind of uh, political gains from that are vastly, like I'm rapidly, I'm sorry, rapidly approaching zero. It seems to me. Um, and so this is someone who's kind of I've over the past few months I've kind of had my foot in independent media, and I, you know I've been an academic, so I've, I've been on TV and stuff. Like I've done Al Jazeera and, and in the studio and all that kind of shit. And I've been struck. As someone who's kind of has a foot in both worlds, over the past few months, um, the the effects, just the impact uh, that go that come from doing like mainstream TV, it, it's almost it's almost nothing. I mean, that I can tell anyway. Um, and you know, writing blog posts or making videos that even if only a few hundred people see them, like people are pay way more attention to that. They're way more like open to it and, and kind of like dynamically uh, responsive to it. Um, and so. This, this difference between the kind of big pyramid communication structure that we saw from the 1920s to the 1970s to this kind of rapidly accelerating proliferation of tiny pyramids, um, is a game changer, I would say, for, for the prospects of truth telling. And so that my basic kind of like concluding line here, um, is that basically I think we're slow to update. We're slow to realize this, but basically all of the incentives for anyone who's interested in intellectual life today, if you're interested in, you know, saying interesting, uh, truths of any kind, um, And not even necessarily profound, but you're just interested even in just a simple, um, kind of more honest and direct, radically open, um, and genuine way of thinking and expressing. Uh, those types of people and those types of practices are going to be increasingly rewarded, um, right now and moving forward, uh, because it's never, it's never been easier to kind of constitute your own, uh, paresiastic community around that. Um, and the gains from kind of, uh, playing the bullshit mainstream game are, seem to be rapidly decreasing. Because of this. Um, and so that's why I, I, that's kind of my ultimate message here. And I know this kind of from, ex, from experience. And I know I didn't talk much about my own case because I'm kind of talk, tired of talking about myself. But if anyone's interested in, you know, how I've kind of come to observe this and how, how this has happened in my own life, feel free to ask me any questions. Um, but this is increasingly palpable to me. It's increasingly, I'm watching it, not just introspectively in my own kind of experiments, but, um, across the board of other, of other people's also. And, yeah, I think a, a lot of people have this idea that right now we're living in this, like, really repressive, politically correct age. Um, and I think, I, I obviously, I see why people think that. Um, but the power of those people to stop presiasts of all different variety, I think is rapidly decreasing. And the gains to just letting the hysterical, politically correct people, just letting them say whatever the fuck they want about you, just let them. It doesn't matter. But say what you want to say, do whatever you want to do. And if you're doing it authentically and really genuinely, and you don't look back, uh, it, the opportunities to basically, um, constitute an entire kind of world around that and to generate new communities and then other people generate their own communities in this way. And for those to have free, authentic interchange and dynamic kind of, you know, uh, political growth and energy, uh, it's, it's never been more ripe for that. And so that, that's kind of my message. I don't, I actually don't think we're living in a, in a moment of severe political repression, um, I think it kind of looks and feels like that over the past few years, but that's only because we haven't really updated our intuitions about the actual um, incentive structures that are at play. And I think once people start to see this, uh, it's going to be off to the races, uh, and we're going to be living in in boom times for for Parisia. Is what I think is what I think is happening. So I think I should cut myself off there. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe and it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.